I believe there is a shift that is taking place within the body of Christ. I also believe since pandemic, there's been a shift that has happened in many people's lives. And I want to speak into that today. I will take my story from Israel entering the promised land. And I know that we've heard hundreds, if not thousands of sermons about possessing your promised land, conquering what God has for you and all of that. But today I will look at it, take a look at it from a deliverance perspective, from a deliverance minister's perspective, moving from deliverance to dominion. See, in Egypt, God delivers you from a Pharaoh. In the promised land, God delivers Philistines to you. God said to Joshua, he says, I have delivered this king to you. It's a different type of deliverance. There is three types of deliverance. One is when God delivers you to the devil. Israel who disobeyed God, the Bible says God will deliver them to their enemies to be tormented. Romans chapter 1, it says that God delivered them to vile passions. We don't like to talk about that. It's when you offend God so much, He delivers you to the devil to torment you. You might say, how could a loving God do that? Oh yeah, He does that. He takes up His hand of protection. In reading the book of Judges and you will see many times God will allow the enemies of God to harass God's people. There is a level you reach in disobedience to God where God lifts the protection and the protection of your mama's prayer and lets the devil harass you. That is deliverance to the devil. The second deliverance is we've heard a lot about yesterday and many of you experienced it's when God delivers you from the devil. But there's one more deliverance and that's when God delivers the devil to you. God promised to, Mo, to Abraham and he says that I will deliver enemies to you. I have delivered enemies to you. Jesus says that I saw Satan fall like lightning. I give you authority. He didn't say I'll remove the snake. He, will, he says I will put them within your proximity that you will trample upon them. Many people have a distorted view of deliverance and that is this, is that God will forever remove the enemy out. He will remove the enemy out only to bring him back. Allow him to come back because you can never walk in your dominion if you have nothing to rule over. And that's what we're going to talk about today. But we'll start from the beginning. I want you to go to Joshua chapter 1 and verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all these people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. So I'm going to highlight five things, five points or five steps. There's more, but I'm just going to highlight five. The one that the Holy Spirit, I feel like He highlighted in my spirit for this evening. The first one is that God will remove people before He takes you into dominion. Before Joshua became a conqueror, Moses had to die. Moses was not a bad person in Joshua's life. In fact, Moses was a crutch for Joshua. God used Moses to get Joshua to a certain place and after that, when Moses died, the scripture says, the Lord said to Joshua, now go into the promised land. Many people get freaked out when people leave their life and they think God left with the people that left. Some people who leave our lives, there's cast spells on us and they say that when I leave, your ministry will fall apart. When I leave, you'll never get remarried. When I leave, your business will collapse. But sometimes they were the ones that were holding your next season. When Moses died, Joshua entered the promised land. And I just want to release a prophetic word to somebody. They did not hold you back when they left. Now when they left, you can step into the season that God has 
for your life. You're not being punished, you're being pruned. God is not setting you up for a failure, He's setting you up for a conquest when He removes those people. I believe before God takes you to a new season, He will take people out of your life. Before God takes you into dominion, some people will exit your life. The Bible says, when Lot left Abraham, then the Lord said to Abraham, lift up your eyes and look. Until that time, Abraham received the promise, but he didn't see the promise. The word Lot in the original language means veil. It's interesting because it was when Lot, the veil, left that now the promise Abraham had, he's able to see. There are people in our lives that they were there for a reason. Some of them came for a season. It's when they leave, this is when you will begin to step into your dominion. Don't be surprised after your deliverance that somebody leaves your life. Don't be surprised that after your deliverance, you will notice that that person that you leaned on will leave your life. Because that will be the season where God is going to start raising you up. When deliverance went public on the scale of a large conference in our ministry was the week that the deliverance minister from Cameroon got denied visa. He came every year to do a deliverance conference. We did deliverance on the local level. Faithful with the lions and the bears. We never attempted to do deliverance with the Goliath. Meaning on a larger scale that's not limited to Sunday morning. What we did is we always brought the brothers from Africa. Because they're the anointed ones. Come on somebody. On Sunday morning, we drive out demons. When the conference comes, we were the ushers. And the brother from Africa would come three years in a row. And I mean wild, crazy. Some of the mo our most used video on Hungry Gen YouTube is from the brother from Africa. The Lord used him powerfully until he gets denied visa. But we're like, it's not a no big deal. We connect with the government. The state representatives write a letter that goes to the embassy. He gets denied visa a second time. No big deal. We're fasted. If the government can help, fasting will. On Friday is our national or our big conference. People book tickets. And on, on Monday, he has his third interview. And then on Monday, five days before our race to deliver conference, he gets denied visa third time. This is when we pulled up all night prayers every night until Friday, declared a five-day fast, and guess what happened? Part of me felt like, why is God doing this to us? Why is He setting us up for failure? People aren't coming for us, they're coming for the minister that is coming from the overseas for whom we're going to be ushers. And that midnight, the Lord spoke to me from this verse, and He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. I called you. I said, Lord, but I'm not Moses. He says, I know. Your season shifted, lad. And that weekend, where our deliverance ministers were praying, something broke loose. And it became an annual almost four years already. And it catapulted our ministry to a level that we were never in before. But it took God taking somebody out who was good. I've seen it every time in our ministry before God takes you to a new level many times. How you know this season shifted, worship leader leaves the church. Associate pastor leaves the church. Somebody else leaves the church. Why? Because that's the way the Lord sometimes works. Disciples could not win souls and make disciples until Jesus left. Spirit could not come back until Jesus left. Before God takes you to a new season, He will take somebody out of your life. I just want to let you know, cry the river, build a bridge and get over it. Why? Because you are stepping into a new season in your life. Somebody give God some praise right now. If you can give me a little bit more microphone juice. 
before Gideon entered into his first dominion, God shrunk his army. And when his army shrunk, instead of retreating, he advanced. Don't be surprised if your preparation for dominion includes shrinking. If God doesn't first reduce you, because that is the way God prunes us. It's the way God prepares us. An archer pulls an arrow backwards before he releases it forward. Moses died and only then Joshua entered the promised land. I want to speak to those who lost your marriage and people have said to you, you will never amount to anything and your future is gone, your ministry is gone and I want to speak into your life, your future is not connected to those who left you, it's connected to God who stayed with you. I want to speak into your life for those of you who maybe lost members in your church, your future and God's promise is not connected to the naysayers, the haters and those who left your ministry. It's the God who stayed with you and He is with you right now. Give Him some praise right now. Number two. How do you know God is preparing you for dominion? Number two, it's when God takes manna off of the menu. <laughs> Dealing with the loss of Moses is hard. The hardest challenge, the hardest shift to navigate is when God takes away that which He brought in the previous season. Manna was God's promise. It was, it, it was God's provision. It was God's temporary process. But it was not what God promised to Abraham. Manna was to sustain them in the wilderness. It was not supposed to be something God blessed them with in the promised land. And guess what God did the moment they entered the promised land? He took away His blessing to give them their breakthrough. There are people who lost their jobs and you're saying, God, you gave me that job. But see, the vision God gave you wasn't a job, it was a business. You would never start a business until you lost your manna. You would never step into your promise until you lost God's provision. Because God is preparing you for manna and milk, not for preparing you for milk and honey, not for manna. And I just want to speak into somebody's financial situation right now. What you think is a disaster is actually a destiny appointment with your future. God is preparing you. God is setting you up. God is setting you up in Jesus name. I release that word in your situation. You are not going to die at the dry brook Elijah. God is getting you ready to take you to the widow's house. He's opening new doors for you. He's going to open new opportunities for you that will line up with the dream He gave you. Not with the temporary provision. 40 years. And many of us in here today, we live on manna. Oh, we're grateful for manna. It sustains our family. It pays the bills. It gives us just enough to tithe at the church. But God's promise is not manna. God's promise that you will have overflow. God's promise, God is not, I'll get by, He is El Shaddai. He is God of more than enough. But see, your daddy didn't have more than enough. Your grandma did not have more than enough. You lived on manna. Your grandpa lived on manna. Everyone lived on manna and you're grateful for manna. But God's promise for you is milk and honey. I've never seen milk and honey. Well, you're about to see it. And many times before you see milk and honey, God removes manna out of the menu. Some of you lost manna during COVID because the company closed down. Some of you lost manna during COVID because the company downsized. And you were saying, God, bring me back to Egypt where I can have onions and garlic 
And God is saying, I'm not taking you back. I'm taking you forward. I'm taking you forward. I gave you dreams when you were 16. I gave you dreams when you were 25. I gave you prophetic words when you were 35. I'm about to fulfill those words, but I could not bring you to the promised land until I took away the provision. You may say, what does this has to do with deliverance? Very simple. You get delivered, next week you lose the job. I can't tell you how many people, after they got delivered, they say this, hell broke loose. When in reality, the season shifted. What we sometimes say, hell broke loose, is God shifting the season. Moses dies, manna leaves. It's not because God is punishing you or the devil attacking you. God is setting you up for dominion. He's setting you up for the prophetic words to be fulfilled in your life. He's setting you up for financial prosperity in your life. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. But then they, yea, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Meaning I go through some dark seasons, you are with me. But see, God doesn't bring me back from the valley into I shall not lack. He takes me through the valley to a place where my cup runs. I shall not lack. It's manna in verse 1. Verse 4, manna stops. And then comes the cup runs. We love to sing about it. We love to receive the prophetic words about it. We love to name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, confess it and possess it until we have to get through the valley. And some of you are in that valley right now where God provided for you in the previous seasons and the provisions dried up. The brew God led you dried up. The manna God sent you stopped coming. And you're saying, God send manna again. I want to teach you to pray a different prayer. Don't ask for manna. Say, Lord, I know I need manna, but you promised milk and honey. I know I need to pay my bills, but you promised that I will be a kingdom financier. I know my family is manna, but God, you gave me a word that I will be a millionaire. I will be a businessman. I will employ other people. I will build orphanages. I will build churches. God, bring milk and honey. And if this smells like prosperity gospel, it's the gospel of the kingdom. Because in the kingdom of our God, God doesn't just meet our needs. He fulfills His promises. And God's promise for you, I know many of you here today, the promise God gave you was not manna. Manna was the temporary provision until the time for the promise will come close. How do I know you're standing closer today? Because God took manna off of the menu. Number three, third sign you're stepping into that. Are you with me? It's when God increases the level of your consecration. Joshua chapter 3 verse 5. Joshua said to the people, this is before they even conquered the promised land. He said this, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Today's sanctification is tomorrow's miracles. Today's compromise is tomorrow's scandal. Today's flirtation is tomorrow's affair. Today's fasting is tomorrow's acceleration. Today's repentance 
It's tomorrow's revival. I want you to see Joshua did not say, sanctify yourself today. For tonight, you get the miracle. He said, for tomorrow. The moment they entered the promised land, God raised the bar. The first thing he asked them is to circumcise themselves. To experience a cutting. Why? Because you cannot conquer if you've not been cut. You cannot conquer if you have not been sanctified. You can receive provision not being sanctified. You can receive prosperity not being sanctified. But the moment you're about to go to the enemy's territory, God says, sanctify yourselves. For tomorrow, I will do wonders in your midst. It's interesting because in the story of Joshua, there is this almost comparison between two characters. One of them is Rahab, who was a prostitute in the city of Jericho. And it's almost like these two stories run parallel. And the other one is Achan, who was a soldier in Israel. Rahab hides two spies and they rescue her life. Achan hides Babylonian garment, some gold and silver. The Bible calls it the forbidden things, the, the, the things that were accursed. He hides them under his stand and those things that he hid changed his life. Rahab saved her family by what she was hiding. Achan killed his family by what he was hiding. Rahab did not experience salvation the same day she was hiding the spies. Achan did not experience condemnation the same day he was hiding accursed things. Everyone here is hiding something. The question today is not where you live financially. It's what you're hiding secretly. You can be like Rahab in the wrong place, in the wrong profession. But if you're hiding the spies, the Word of God, prayer, fasting, church attendance. If you're hiding, memorizing the scriptures, nobody sees it, nobody knows it. But secretly, you are hiding those spies. You are protecting those spies. You're waking up earlier. You're pushing the plate aside and you say, today I'm going to fast. Today I'm going to pray. I'm going to read the scriptures. I'm not going to bench watch Netflix. I'm going to read the word. Something will happen tomorrow, says the Lord. I will do wonders in your life. Tomorrow, says the Lord, I will save your family. Tomorrow, says the Lord, I will change your profession. Tomorrow, says the Lord, I will bring a husband into your life. Tomorrow, says the Lord, I will bring a promotion in your life. Tomorrow, says the Lord, I will unlock your destiny. I want to speak to every person that is hiding prayer, fasting and giving in your life. Revival is coming your way. Harvest is coming your way. I want to speak to every pastor in this room right now that is hiding consecration, sanctification. Revival is coming to your church, to your life. It might be five years, ten years. The longer it takes, the higher the interest rate. The longer it takes, the greater the interest rate. But I also want to warn every soldier who is publicly fighting for God, privately struggling. Struggle is not the problem. The problem is when you hide your struggle. Everybody has battles privately. But as long as they are battles privately, not things we hide privately. Not things we condone privately. Not things that we simply learn to take our victories as a sign. God must be okay that I'm masturbating. The fact that we want Jericho, God must be okay that I'm slipping into porn. God must be okay with the fact that I raise my voice and my hand against my wife. Because my business is prospering. Tomorrow, your sin will catch you. Not today. And the reason why God is giving a gap between the time you're sinning and the time of your scandal is God giving you time to repent. 
God is patient. God is giving you time to get rid of the stuff from under your tent. God is giving you time to run to somebody and say, I have sinned. God is giving you time to acknowledge your sin. But the reason why God allows the good stuff we hide to not turn into miracles right away is because He's developing our character for the success that will come so it doesn't destroy us. Patience of God with the sinner and process of God with the saint. Tomorrow, tomorrow. You know, I had a difficult, my mom had a difficult birth when I was born. Because of that, I developed chronic insecurity. I struggled with it pretty much all of my teenage years. I was bullied. I didn't know that I was bullying. I later on found out in America that being called with names, punched in the face, thrown out, physically abused, was bullied. I thought that was normal treatment of people who are deformed. I was called deformed. I knew I was deformed. I lived like a deformed person. When my family immigrated to the United States at year 1999, December 6th, I spoke zero English. I was only 13 years of age. I had no friends. My cousin, who is my pastor, my best friend, Ilya, was my only friend. I spoke zero English and I was chronically, chronically shy and insecure. I had two eye surgeries to fix my eyes. Out of four siblings and both parents, I'm the only one without glasses, so I don't have a problem with the vision. I can see stuff and stuff that I probably shouldn't even see. I see far, I see, I see. Vision is my problem. The reason why I had two eye surgeries, one is about 11, eight, age of 11, and the other one at the age of 13 when I came to the United States, is because my parents saw that I battled. I struggled as a teenager to make friends. I was so awkward with people. I was so scared of people. I would hide. I thought if they could fix my eyes, they could fix my self-esteem and maybe improve my chances of being somewhat better. I grew up in a Christian home so I knew that suicide was not an option. So my prayer at the age of 13 to about 14 and a half was God cause an accident so that I can die. Because if I die, my best friend died in Ukraine when I was nine, right in front of my eyes. Half of his brain was removed right in front of my eyes. A tragic accident. So I said, God, why didn't you kill me during that time? I am a burden to other people. My life has no meaning. My life has no purpose. If you take me out of circulation, the world will be a better place. That was my prayer. I remember skipping a keyboarding class in a freshman high school because I was scared to stand in front of a group of 23 students. Suicide wasn't an option and God wasn't answering my prayer for accidents. So what I started to do at the age of 13 and a half, Monday through Friday, I would come from high school. Because I wasn't good at sports, my grades were bad. The church that started, our church that was started, I tried to join every team, which was only two teams. The worship team, there was like one more team. And they kicked me out of every team that I joined in a church that was as big as my family. This was the final nail to the coffin. You're a failure, your life has no purpose, and God made a mistake by making you. Thirteen and a half. Every day I come from school, I lock myself in the, door, in, the, in the room. And for 30 to 40 minutes, I blast the music so my parents don't hear what I'm telling God. I told everything I felt. I would start complaining, grumbling. But then, you know, complaining is like vomiting. After a while, you feel better. I grumbled, I complained. And after about 15 minutes, there was nothing to complain about. So I ended up like David, worshiping God for absolutely no reason. Just felt good doing it. I started this practice Monday through Friday, 35 to 40 minutes. That's before anybody taught me how to live a secret place. I wasn't wanting to do a ministry. I just didn't want to die. And I, and I saw God wasn't causing an accident. And I locked myself for about 40 minutes every single Monday through Friday. This lasted for years until God came into the room 
I got baptized in the Holy Spirit in that room. God took away the anxiety of people, the fear of people. My grades went through the roof in high school. I became the worship leader. Please. An elephant stepped on my ear. I don't know how they let me be a worship leader. The way they worshiped him, they kicked me out. At 16, I became a youth pastor. Not because I wanted to be a youth pastor. I really felt like I was a Rahab. Not in the sense that I practiced prostitution, but I practiced other stuff like insecurity and fear. I had no other option. But when I locked myself in a room, something happened. As you consecrate yourself today, tomorrow, says the Lord, I will change your life around. I still have the same body, but I have a different heart. I still have the same face, but I have a different destiny. Because I am a witness. I am a witness. What you do in private, God will let it happen in public. I want to challenge you, get into your prayer house. Get into your fasting life. Get it back to your prayer room. Get back into your Bible reading life. Why? Because there is a reward attached to it. My life changed because of that. Your life can as well. You may not have connections. Please understand English is my third language and I'm an immigrant in the United States. The fact that I can stand in front of you here today and not pee in my pants is a miracle. Some of you may say, lad, it comes naturally for you. No, 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 no. If you would meet me when I was 13 and a half, you would never ever see the person being today. But what God did for Rahab, He did for me. What God did for me, He's about to do for you. Get into a secret place. Because you will either live in a secret place or in a secret sin. But you will not be able to live in both. What you're hiding today will change your life dramatically in five years. The reason why I commit to a life of fasting today, because I've seen what God did when I was 13. I wonder what He will do when I will be 50 if I consecrate myself today. Consecration at 13 got me to 30. But consecration at 30 will get me to what's going to happen at 40. The Bible says in my house there are golden vessels and there are silver vessels, wooden vessels and all of those vessels. And maybe you're one of those people that you were born with not super great talents and gifts. But the Bible that makes me to understand it says he who cleanses himself will be a vessel for honor. That means that you can be a golden vessel, wooden vessel. That's something God decides. But you decide your consecration. You decide your humility. You decide your fasting life. You decide how deep you go with God. And as you choose consecration, your consecration decides your future. What you hide today will change you tomorrow. God will remove Moses before he brings you to a new season. God will take manna out before he brings provision of his prosperity. Three is God will increase your consecration. What was okay in the wilderness will become sin in the promised land. This is not legalism. I get hit for this. This is not legalism. This is consecration. A boxer cannot eat Chick-fil-A. Not because of legalism, but because of destiny. That's why he makes millions and we don't. That's why he wins battles and we watch him win battles eating our fries and chips and sitting in our couch and growing and the only area we're growing is in our belly i want to challenge you today cut off alcohol from your life stop using entertainment as a numbing mechanism introduce into your life fasting and prayer 
I know we judge the world for going to the club when they get stressed out. We're no different because our club is the fridge. Some of us here today, we have an emotional affair with food. Food is not our fuel, it has become our friend. And God is raising a level of consecration. When you're stepping into your promised land, when you're stepping into dominion, God begins to cut off the four skins. And when He does that, He says, now I roll away the reapproach of Egypt. Because you got out of Egypt, but the Egypt didn't get out of you until I started to cut stuff away from you. Some of us think that's legalism. That is liberty, not legalism. When God sets you free, that you don't need to drink. When God sets you free, you don't need to watch at stuff that you need to repent of. God sets you free and there are things God sets you free in a prayer. And there are things God sets you free when you begin to practice crucifixion yourself. Crucify your flesh. Amen. Number four. When Joshua went through the Jordan, the Bible says in Joshua 4, 7, then you shall enter, you shall answer them that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. And this is the part that I want you to highlight. And these stones shall be a memorial to the children of Israel forever. Number four, learn to build memorials to what God did, not monuments to what He did not do. Now, I'm going to speak for just a moment about this. This is huge. Israel developed a chronic habit of complaining about what God wasn't giving them. In wilderness, in Egypt, there was a lot of complaining. You didn't do this. You didn't do this. Why didn't you give us this? Why don't you give us this? And when they entered the promised land, it's almost like God wants to break that habit. And He says this, as you go through Jordan River, as you pass through, send some priests, send some people to gather stones in the middle of Jordan. Most likely it was the lowest point of Jordan. He says gather those stones, take them out and I want you to bring those stones on the shore. And God says I want you to put them as stones for memorial. So that when generations ask, you can point it to them. Something happens with us. Most of us don't have a problem with faith. We have a problem with our memory. God does not have to encourage you in front of every battle. The Bible says in Genesis, when God made trees, He made them to be fruitful. And it says this, and every fruit has a seed inside. Why? So when you finish eating the fruit, you're done with the fruit. How do you have another fruit? You have the seed which is at the center of the fruit, you plant it in the ground. Every miracle in your life has a seed for the next miracle. How do you get that? When you kill a lion and you kill the bear, keep the seeds. What is the seed? It's a stone of memorial. So when God stops speaking, you don't freak out. You say, He did it then, He'll do it now. But I, you didn't get a prophetic word. He did it then, He'll do it now. But you did not see a vision or a dream at night. He did it then, He will do it now. And God tells Joshua, I want you to get busy building memorials. Why? Because many of us have monuments we've built in our mind. God didn't heal my mom. 
he didn't answer that prayer. What happened to my son? I got into that car accident. And what the devil will do is he will build a monument in your head of everything that God hasn't done. He will build a monument in your head to your mistakes. He will build a monument in your head to mysteries that God doesn't give answers for. And what we have is we have a monument that are built and we become people who can theologically justify inactivity of God, the inactivity of God. And when we're beginning to pray for a miracle, you already have every argument in your head why this will not happen. When you get a bad news, you already, your mind begins to play the worst case scenario. Yeah, I know how this is going to end. This is going to end in a funeral. I know how this is going to end. This cancer will progress. It will kill me like it killed my mom. And you begin to keep making references to everything God has not done in your past. But see, in the promised land, when you become a deliverance minister, when you become a dominion person, you have to learn to scratch what God has not done. Forget what He has not done. And remember what He has done. Why? Because when the times get hard and you will face your biggest challenge of the Goliath, God will not be there to say, David, I have anointed you for such a time as this. God will not encourage you. Saul will not encourage you. Your brothers will not encourage you. The only thing that will encourage you is your memorial stones. In your mind, you will go back to the lion. You will go back to the bear. You will go back to the time that you were supposed to be dead. And you said, God was there with me. He did not forsake me there. My husband left me, but he did not leave me. I lost my job, but God still was my provider. My God does not change yesterday, today, and forever the same. And when you build a stone memorial, you get new faith. And you throw that stone at the Goliath and Goliath falls. Some of you, you just need a better memory. You're saying, God, increase my faith. And God says, stop remembering what you should forget. And begin to forget what you should remember. You've been remembering. Forget those things. And remember my faithfulness. There's so many of us in here. You depend on prophetic words too much. And the interesting part, there is not enough prophets in the planet to massage your insecurities, fears and doubts. Sooner or later, sooner or later, you're gonna have to learn to stand on both of your feet. Righteous man walks by faith. Where does he get his faith? He gets it from God's Word and he gets it from God's works. Meaning go back in your history and grab some stones in the Jordans God delivered you through. In the miracles God has done, pull a stone out from that. When you ate the fruit, get the seed out and guard that seed because honey, you're going to need it in the promised land. God will mature you by being silent in your most difficult season. God will mature you by the prophet giving a prophetic word to everyone except you. And you look at your friend and you're like, my friend just got 27 prophetic words in the last three hours. Literally spiders prophesied to them. I need, I need God's Word. Why will God do that? The same reason teacher is silent during a test. A teacher is not silent to punish a student. When God is silent, you're taking a test. Why are you taking a test? He's getting you ready to graduate. What do you do when the teacher is taking a test? You don't go like this, hey, Mr. Johnson, Mr. Johnson, Mr. Johnson, Mr. Johnson, Mr. Johnson. I'm going to even know the more you do that, the more the teacher will be irritated. What does the teacher expect you to do? You put your head down and remember what the teacher said before the teacher stops speaking. Remember what the teacher said yesterday. Remember the prophetic words. Remember the prophetic acts. 
Remember the Jordan splitting when Jericho doesn't open. Remember when you're marching around Jericho and nothing is happening. God says, remember the stones. Remember my faithfulness because this Jericho wall will fall as well. But for you to get the faith to keep on walking, you have to build memorial stones. Maybe you buried somebody who you prayed for cancer and no longer are you brave to pray for cancers. Now you with hesitancy pray for cancer. Don't remember what God has not done. Why it did not happen. The mysteries, the mistakes. Don't build monuments. My goal today is to break monuments apart and for you to build a memorial to God's activity, to God's miracles and to God's breakthrough in your life and in your season. Can somebody say Amen. And the last thing that I want to mention is when you walk into the promised land and I've alluded to this in the beginning in the promised land you only get what you fight for not what you promised there's no welfare God doesn't give it to you because you need it God only gives it to you if you kill something not one inch of territory was given to Israel. They possessed it. By doing what? Driving out enemies. In the wilderness, God free stuff. Welfare checks all the time. All the time, every day. And when they complain, they got one in the morning, one in the evening. Stimulus checks every quarter. And a lot of people think that's how life works. They develop the view, what I call greasy grace. I do nothing, God does everything for me. In deliverance, God works for you. In dominion, God works through you. And in discipline, God works in you. You have to get out of Egypt where there is deliverance, go through the wilderness where there is discipline, discipleship, so you can enter the promised land where now there is dominion. God gave them a large piece of land, but they only took the occupation of the size that they were willing to fight for. And the moment they started to make covenant with those things they were called to conquer, God's grace stopped flowing. There are people in this room today and maybe you have made a covenant with those things God called you to conquer. Maybe you have justified your anger and you said, this is just part of being Irish. This is just part of being Lopez. That's why our whole Lopez family is broke. Maybe you just simply justified it. I won't start a business. Why? Nobody in my family has a business. We're just nine to five. Nothing wrong with nine to five. And you justify certain things that you made a covenant with. But God calls you to conquer those things. Maybe you're here today and you say, well, every man looks a porn. I'm just simply part of the statistic. If you make a covenant with that which God called you to conquer and you make your issues, your identity, God won't deliver you because He delivers us from our enemies. He doesn't deliver us from our friends. You have to conquer. You have to fight. And you have to get the possession back. In Egypt, you were a slave needing deliverance. In the promised land, you are a soldier inflicting torment. In Egypt, you're suffering because Pharaoh hates you. In the promised land, Philistines are suffering because you love the promised land. And many people, they got stuck in the wilderness. Or some go to the promised land and this is their view. God, deliver me from Philistines. God, drive out the Philistines. God doesn't deliver you in the promised land. He empowers you in the promised land. 
the same demons that came out from inside of you will come back on the outside they're not gonna go to hell I know someone's like well they went to the pit well how come three days later the same thing showed up in your mind the devil will send another batch there's plenty of them in his kingdom and why does that happen so many people come back for deliverance and yes it's true some people like apostle alluded some people need a deeper deliverance but there are many of us we need basic dominion what do you do when you get delivered from depression you leave this sanctuary and you're excited it's powerful angels are visiting you in the dream everything is beautiful and then three days later the same thing comes on you out of nowhere relationships start to leave you things with the job begin to change next thing that happens you're reading the bible you don't feel god's presence can you notice i covered pretty much every single track when you don't feel God, begin to feed on what He used, what He did. When somebody leaves your life, you stay connected to God. When your finances change, remember God is taking you to the next season. But God sometimes will allow certain attacks to come on the outside of the same demons we wrestle with on the inside. Why? Because He created you for dominion, not for deliverance. And you cannot exercise dominion if you have no one to exercise dominion over. If a nightmare comes, instead of running for deliverance, you run the nightmare out of your house. If demons harass your children, instead of calling your pastor, you call on the shepherd whose staff comforts you and you lay hands as a priest in your house and that child and you command that wicked spirit to get out of the house. Why? Because you have dominion. If you get healed, three days later the symptoms come back and they knock on the door, you tell that sickness, wrong address. You are not welcome here. Get out in Jesus' name. You resist the devil and he will flee from you. Instead of going from deliverance to deliverance, God called you to go from deliverance to dominion. You don't have to go back to Egypt to get more freedom. You can go forward in the promised land and get more dominion. Sooner or later, you're going to have to learn to exercise your dominion in Christ. There was a time, one of the things that I struggled with, even when I was delivered with, from insecurity, is I battled with fear. Had a fear of the dark. I don't know when it came. I do remember when it got stronger. I read Re Rebecca Brown's book called He Came to Set the Captives Free. The whole night. Yeah, didn't sleep for a long time after that. I was just afraid of the dark. Didn't feel any terrorizing of it. It's just as a youth pastor, I was the last person to leave the church. And I would remember, I would run to my car from the church parking lot and then check for the back seat and turn the lights in my car on until I get home. I was scared of the dark. Many times in my own room I would have a hard time as a 20 year old young adult who was a youth pastor to sleep with lights off. Now of course I wouldn't tell that to anybody I'm a guy. I don't want to seem like I, I'm a chicken or something you know I'm scared. That's, that's for children scared of the dark. We get married. My wife, she's a painter. Once in a while she paints. She won awards in France and South Africa when she was in Russia. So she's painting one Saturday. I'm preparing a sermon. It's very late in the evening. We, did, we have a dinner as we eat. And it was one of those apartments, cheaper apartment, where they don't have lights in a living room. Kitchen and the living room is together. It's like everything is very tiny and small. You only have lights in the kitchen and then you don't have lights in the living room. We're sitting there eating dinner and I'm seeing something in the living room. And all of my hair and my body goes like resurrected. And I'm scared. In my own house, I grabbed my wife's hand. We were here in Timur. I grabbed, I, I literally like, it wasn't gentle. It was like, pow, like prayer of agreement. She's like, is everything okay? I'm like, no, I just love you. She's like, why so hard? I was just 
it's just really I'm glad that I'm married to you and she's looking at me she's like something is not up but I'm not gonna tell my wife she's like tiny little girl and I'm gonna tell her I'm scared of my own apartment no and I'm a pastor we finish and I'm following my wife to the kitchen sink and she's scaring her stuff and I'm putting right behind and I'm walking you know right beside her she's like wow you something's off she's like no just I've just really it's been years since we've been married I'm just trying to revive the romance being very romantic but in reality I'm scared to death of whatever is in my living room we go back to the room, turn off all the lights, and I'm literally following my wife like a tail. We get into it, all the lights are off in the hall, in the kitchen, and where the sink was, the only light is in is the room where she's painting. And I'm writing my lesson. Now this is, Prophet, the message I was preparing is victory over the devil. <laughs> and I literally got one in my living room <laughs> that I am willing to type a sermon about, just not to go and face it. <laughs> This was before the deliverance days. And then my wife gets this weird craving. She says, would you go bring me water? I do the math, the quickly the calculation. So I will have to go to, through where the, the devil is. Where something is that. I knew something was there. And I said, babe, let's go together. I said, how romantic would that be Saturday night? both of us walking to the sink she's looking at me she's like is, are you okay i'm like totally i just miss you and i'm literally coming up with garbage i'm like 24 years i've been waiting to walk with you during the night she's like go get me water stop making excuses i was like okay so in my mind i'm thinking i'm gonna run quickly turn on the light get the water leave the lights on and before we go to bed have my wife turn them off got the plan as i'm about to get out from the room i'm remembering the sermon i'm preparing and i feel the spirit of god tell me this he said vlad this thing has tormented you long enough he said when are you going to stand up to it i said god you, you want my head to be cut off I'm like whatever that is I'm scared I am I've always been scared maybe it's because of the bullying because of all the I've always battled with that I didn't feel it was inside it was always on the outside but it was harassing me I said there's no way this, not today not this is gonna kill me so and, and I'm rationalizing and I'm justifying no I can't do that I said I will turn on the light my wife will turn it off that's my plan for deliverance <laughs> and I remember as clear as I'm standing in front of you the Spirit of God said this he said, don't turn on the light. You are the light. I said, yeah, God, it's easy for you to say that. You don't understand who I am and the situation I'm in. And something happened to my spirit. And I said, enough is enough. I need to confront this. And so I, I'll be very honest with you. I was scared. Every part of my body was scared. But in my spirit, I knew this thing has to go. This cannot be a part of my life. And I, when I went to, the, to that room, instead of turning on the light, this, I've never done this as a 24-year-old. I went to that room and instead of asking God to remove it, I knew that's not what God wanted me to do. God doesn't want me to ask Him. He gave me that authority. And I looked into the pitch darkness, little thinking, something's gonna jump out and eat me for lunch. And these are the words I said. These are not in the Bible. Do not use this in your own situation. This was just my own words, what came out. This is what I said. I said, I'm paying rent in this apartment. I said, whoever you are, whatever you are, I didn't invite you here. So right now, get out in Jesus' name. And I said, and I'm waiting and something just came on me this boldness and almost like something lifted and never again I had that attack in my life again do you know how many times I asked God to remove that he didn't because he has anointed me to remove it he has anointed me to resist it See, in the promised land, God doesn't destroy Pharaoh. You defeat the Philistines. You rise against that. 
Some of you are not healed because God has called you to begin to resist that disease. Begin to stand against that spirit of fear. Begin to stand against that spirit of pornography. And maybe you've been delivered out of it, but it comes upon you once in a while. And today you have the authority to rise against it and have the dominion in your life. 